keep your Bible open here. We will be looking at other scriptures, but what we'll do, we'll lift a few verses or a couple of verses out to start with, and then we'll mention other things. Psalm 102, verses 6 and 7. My title tonight is The Pelican, the Owl, and the Sparrow. The Pelican, the Owl, and the Sparrow. Verse 6. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the house top. Let's pray. Father, take your word. And Lord, I pray your word would have free course tonight in this meeting. And even, Lord, where it is watched around the world, we pray, O oh God, that it would be a blessing or even a challenge to other hearts, to other souls. We pray your people would be built up upon their most holy faith, but that the name of the Lord Jesus would be exalted glorified, and that he alone would be seen. For in his name we ask it. Amen. In our verses, we can see where my title comes from, the pelican, the owl, and the sparrow. Notice something in these two verses. The pelican is off the wilderness. The owl is off the desert. And the sparrow is upon the housetop. Notice the first two are off the wilderness and the desert, respectively. But the third one, the sparrow, is upon. In other words, it can be moved. It isn't a permanent place for the sparrow. The permanent habitation of this pelican owl, the wilderness and the desert, the, uh, the observation of this scripture springs to mind that although one can feel as alone among the crowd, one can feel as alone among the crowd, as one can feel as alone in a wilderness. In other words, a person can feel alone in a crowd like this. He can still feel alone. You can be somewhere in a wilderness and feel alone and people think we get you into a crowd and the loneliness goes. But friend, the loneliness may still be with you, even in a crowd. And on the flip side of that, there are those who are in a crowd and are as comfortable being on their own in a place of solitude, just as much as they can be or even more within a crowd. People are different, and we must recognize that. Notice there's a vast difference between a soul in solitude and rest than in another of a state of loneliness and despair. I want you to catch this. There's a vast difference in a soul in solitude and in rest than another in a state of loneliness and despair. There's a very melancholy, sad, even depressive tone coming from the psalmist in Psalm 102. We would say his heart is very low. He's in his, his heart is in his boots, for in other words, as we would say. And it comes here as he is describing himself as these birds. The first one being the pelican, the second one being the owl. The sparrow, if he realizes it, is completely different. We'll look at it in a moment. For example, the pelican and the owl were both deemed unclean, unfit 
and unacceptable to God. Did you know that? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14, please. And we have just a few verses to lift out. In Deuteronomy chapter 14. And here we go to where, not only here you can read it, but also Leviticus chapter 11, but Deuteronomy 14. We will see where God tells Israel of the clean and unclean animals for eating, for acceptance, for worship, for in uh, the sacrificial animals. Notice here in verse 11 of Deuteronomy 14, of all the clean birds ye shall eat. He mentioned those. Verse 12, but these are they which ye shall not eat, the eagle and the ostrich. I take it that's the ostrich. And the osprey and the glade and the kite and the vulture after his kind and every raven after his kind. Notice, and the owl and the night hawk and the cuckoo and the hawk after his kind, the little owl and the great owl and the swan and the pelican. Notice, and the pelican and the gare eagle and the cormorant. And we could go on. So the Lord tells us that these animals were unacceptable for worship. In other words, spiritually unacceptable to him. And they are unacceptable for food. And so when the psalmist here is saying, he says, I am like a pelican off the wilderness. I am like an owl off the desert. You know what he's saying? He's an Israelite. And these are anathema to him. And he sees himself like these birds. He deems himself so unfit, even in the sight and presence of God, even to worship the Lord. I am like the pelican. I am like the owl. Now, he was a child of God in the sense he was chosen of Israel. But yet he was a sinner. And yet he seems that whatever has come upon his life, and their trials have come, and there's things that have torn him down, there's things that have caused him to right here, the Holy Spirit working through him. Some say it's David. We don't know. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit working through him, the Holy Spirit has given us a melancholy, a sad, and a depressive tone through the life of the psalmist in order that you and I can learn something this evening from it. Shows us that there are animals and birds which are clean and unclean. There are animals and birds which are acceptable and unacceptable. And since he is liking himself to these animals or these birds, then we must accept then that there are also people who are clean before God and unclean before God. There are people who are acceptable to God and unacceptable to God. Of course, we know that the clean are washed in the blood of Jesus. And the unclean are still in their sin. The acceptable to God have the righteousness of Christ being washed in the blood of the Lamb, And the unacceptable are those who have rejected Christ, not being washed and cleansed and forgiven in the blood of the Lamb. So here's a question, and it's not for me to condemn you. I promise you it's not. Glad to see you. You're very welcome. We love your soul in the Lord. But here is a question for you 
to answer your own heart this very evening as you sit in your seat. Are you before God clean or unclean? As you sit in your seat then ask yourself, are you before God? Are you acceptable to God or unacceptable? And what I'm saying is, are you still in your sin? Are you still in your unrighteousness? Or have you been saved by grace and washed on the blood of Christ? That makes you acceptable in that alone, nothing else. Notice here, he says, I am like a pelican off the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. Now, we want none. Please understand, we want none to sit in sadness. We want none to feel melancholy. And we want none to be depressed in any sense, shape, or form. Yet we do pray this evening that the Lord will show unto you, in fact, unto every Christian even, our failures and our sin. That the Lord will show every one of us our need, listen, for godly sorrow in our lives. Godly sorrow is a a swear word in many churches now. Godly sorrow is something that is never heard from many of the pulpits anymore. Godly sorrow is a New Testament concept. Will you turn with me, please, to the New Testament? And will you go with me to the Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians, please, in chapter 7. Notice this. Let's read, please, from verse 9. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 7 and 9, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. Notice Paul says there's a difference between feeling sorry and repentance. We don't want you to feel sorry tonight. But we would love to see men and women with godly sorrow come into a place of repentance. And notice what he continues to say. For ye were made sorry, notice, after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by nothing in us. We didn't make you sorry, it's the word of God, in other words. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing off yourselves. Notice Paul is saying, godly sorrow worked a carefulness, a searching of the heart, a trying off the thoughts, a way that would have a spotlight shone unto it by the Holy Spirit of God. And here Paul is saying, it done it in your life, Corinthian church. It done it in your life, Christ encounters tabernacle church. It done it in your life, believer, Christian, blood-washed, born again. It caused us to look and be careful of who we were before God. And notice what he says. It wrought carefulness, it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing off yourselves. Boy, there's a word that we don't hear much. This is a clearing of the heart. A clearing of the soul. A clearing of the mind. A clearing of the spirit. That godly sorrow comes by the Holy Spirit 
and the Word of God and clears us from all our impurities, from all our waywardness, and from all the things that hold us back from God. Now, I notice this is very important. It's godly sorrow that does it. Man cannot achieve that, nor do that in your life. Has God been speaking to you maybe over the last way? Has God been working on you over the last way? Has the Holy Spirit been dealing with you over the last while? Maybe it's weeks, months, maybe it's minutes. Has God been speaking to you? And he says, be careful. He will clear out the sin in your life. Notice this. Yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire. This is the Lord gives us all of this. Yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, in all of this, now before God, you are acceptable in his sight. Because Christ hath done a work in you. Has Christ done a work in you? Is he doing a work in you? So here we have in our reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Notice, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Notice, godly sorrow worketh repentance. Repentance means godly sorrow changes the mind completely. Godly sorrow changes our thinking. Godly sorrow turns us away from the things we did, from away from the life that we lived, away from the desires that we had against God, and turns us away from them to face the Lord and to follow on with the Lord. Has God done that in your life? I don't know how many people I have heard in a meeting claim that they wanted to get saved. They profess Christ with their lips. But there is no change, repentance of mind. There is no turning off the heart. Has God done a work in you? Has the Holy Spirit done a work where your mind is different? Notice here, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, not to turn back again. Now we sang last week, we sang it this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And then we cheated a wee bit, we changed it. I have been chosen to follow Jesus. No turning back. We're not repenting of what the Spirit has done in our lives. We're not repentant of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We're not repentant for what he has changed within our breast, within our soul, for he's turned us away from those things. We have beheld the beautiful, spotless Lamb of God, and we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't he beautiful? Notice, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. That's how you're saved. A little going to church and a a little thing you do and a little I want Jesus in my life 
It isn't salvation. Salvation is the word of God entering the heart and the Holy Ghost living in a man and woman, changing them to behold the Lamb of God. Notice this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but... But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And this is serious. This is serious. The sorrow of the world worketh death. Do you know what's working in the men and women that are unsaved? And maybe you're unsaved tonight. I'm not trying to offend you. I promise you I'm not. I'm not trying to hurt you. I promise you I'm not. But what's working in you is death. Dying before God being unacceptable to him. And notice here, worldly sorrow is pain without promise. I'll say it again. Worldly sorrow is pain without promise. It is sadness without salvation. It is challenge without change. It is trial without truth. It is crying without comfort. It is regret without remission. And with worldly sorrow, man sits as a pelican in the wilderness, as an owl of the desert, solitary, moping, and still unacceptable to God. And they think sometimes if a conscience-pricking, sorrowful thought comes to them, then that must be enough. No, my friend. Repentance is a change of the mind. Repentance is a change of the heart that is wrought in a man and a woman by the Holy Spirit of God. Repentance. Sorrow is not enough. Sorrow for sin. Oh, people can be sorry because they've sinned or they've done wrong maybe to someone else and they get sorry for it. That's a natural thing that they can be, but that's not repentance. They may be sorry for the sin or for the uh, the penal uh, consequences that are coming their way. Worldly sorrow can be sorry that you're caught on. (laughs) I know people who, who were sorry that Uh, They had cheated on their wife for a long time. Spoken to them. They had cheated on their wife for years. Their wife caught them on. Their wife didn't want to know them. Oh, how sorry they were. Now listen, that's not repentance. Let me tell you what repentance is. They wouldn't have done it they would have changed their mind before they got there and they'd have walked the right way. That's repentance. Not till they're caught on. So sorrow is not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. No people who have stolen from their firms and the factories years ago for years and they were caught on and the police came And they were so sorry, but they weren't sorry because they kept on doing it and they were only sorry they were caught. That's not repentance. It's not repentance. Judas Iscariot did not repent. Judas Iscariot, who sold our beautiful Lord for 30 pieces of silver, he went back to the priest to give him it back. You know why? 
because he had a sorrow attack, because things weren't working out the way he thought they would. It wasn't repentance. Am I speaking to someone and, well, you can be sorry at times in a meeting, but you haven't repented. Repented is in the meeting you've went, Lord, you have shown me my sin. I come to you asking for forgiveness. And it's a change of the mind and it's a change of the heart. I want to say it, friend, I know everyone makes mistakes. I know especially young converts need to learn and we try and grow them up in the faith how to walk right back and tell you, no change. There's no Christ. No change, no Christ. Look at godly sorrow with me for a moment. That as worldly sorrow works death in us. Repentance means coming to a, a right mind. Regret means or implies simply a, 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 a feeling of regret or a feeling of remorse. Repentance means a change. Now look at godly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Here's what I've written. Godly sorrow turns us by God to God. Godly sorrow turns us from looking within. It's all about ourselves. To looking without in search of someone greater. The Holy Spirit takes us from our carnal, deathly, lifeless, selfish, depraved ways and our walking and our failures and godly sorrow turns us from that, from looking within. It's all about my greed and my lusts and my wants and the eyes and the eyes and the eyes. Turns us to behold Christ. Godly sorrow, we turn unto salvation. Godly sorrow brings us to Calvary, to the cross, to the sacrifice, to the blood. Godly sorrow is the goodness of God in a man and woman. I want you to get this. Do you see when you're feeling and you know God's speaking to you? That's the goodness of God to you. You'd say, well, what do I mean? Well, here's the thing. God in his own sovereign will could have let you go to hell. And you could stay in your own good self and be comfortable in all those things until that day you enter into the realms and regions of death and the grave and end up in a lake of fire. Starts to work on you starts to call you, starts to pull the heart, starts to awaken you, starts to turn you. It's his goodness. The goodness of God leadeth to repentance, saith the apostle. If God's working in you tonight, if God's working in you tonight, friend, he's convicting your heart. He's being good to you because he wants you to be saved. He wants to save your soul.
God's here tonight. The Spirit is here. Notice. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this. Listen to this. He says, Repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we come back to God. Repentance describes the very act of coming to God. I must change myself before I come to God. I must change my life. I must dress it up a bit better. I must stop this habit and stop that habit and stop doing this thing. Clean up my act and clean up my life. Is that not repentance? No, it's not. Repentance is you've turned and you're on your way to God to follow him. So let me read this again. Repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we come back to God. Repentance describes the very act of coming to God. You can't turn towards God without turning from the things he is against. God is against the things of the world. The Bible tells us that the the world is the enemy of God. So we are living amongst the enemy of God. And that enemy, that world, that system that many so love to have and love to have within their life and love to have in their families and love to drink up and eat up and do all the pleasures of it. It is the enemy of God and they think when they die, they'll enter into the presence of God. No. When the Spirit is moving, we turn from that which is against him. You know there's certain things you can hate with a perfect hatred. You can hate the sin and turn to your father and walk with him. Christian, let me speak to you for a moment. How are you walking? How are you walking? What's your walk like? I'm going to borrow a quote or a question from my pastor, Pastor McConnell. And he used to say, how's your love life? Christian, how's your love life? Your love life with him. Loving Christ. Notice if you turn towards, if you turn, if God turns you, pardon me, if God turns you towards himself and away from the world of death, then you be assured he's turning you to behold life. Will you turn back again? What if God's showing you the path of life tonight? I'm going to say it again. What if God is showing you the path of life tonight and he's given you a glimpse? Are you going to say no thank you and turn back to the death of the world? Listen, Job, the patriarch, the old Bible personality, Job cursed the days of his birth when he was in trial. 
Elijah the prophet, the illustrious prophet to the house of Israel. Elijah requested for himself that he might die. Isaiah, the great oratory prophet, he said, woe is me, for I am undone in the presence of the king. But I have never read anywhere in the scripture and I have never met anyone in my life and in my Christian walk of anyone who has cursed the day or required different. They have never cursed the day of the new birth. I've never met a person who says I'm cursed because I'm born again. Never met one. The day that I was born again, he brought me from an horrible pit. Up out of an horrible pit and from the merry clay, he set my feet upon a rock and has established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. And many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. I never regretted the day that Christ came into my heart. I've never regretted it. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. What What an experience. Since Jesus came into my heart, Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Let's sing it again. Since Jesus came into my heart, Since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Isn't he wonderful? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So when the psalmist says in Psalm 102 and in verse 6, just let me get a drink. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. He likens himself to this bird. The opening titles of the psalm expresses the reason he likens himself to this bird. Let's go to the, the psalm, please, Psalm 102. Look at the opening titles. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before God. Now notice in Psalm 102, verses 3 to 5, it says, he says, For my days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned as in hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass. 
so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groanings, my bones cleave to my skin. This man's in a bad state, isn't he? No, this shows me that the poverty of the human nature, how bad we truly are, how weak we certainly are, because without the Holy Spirit coming, we are as dry and we are as lifeless and we are as hopeless as the psalmist is, like a pelican in the wilderness or like an owl in the desert. That's what a man and a woman is like outside of Christ. That's what a man and a woman are like whenever they haven't got the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. They have nothing in them. And this man is sitting here like a pelican. Strange, isn't it, that he would describe himself like this? The, the word pelican is a word kaaf. But there's a root word that the word kaaf comes from. That's the word ko. You know what it means? To vomit up. To vomit up. For example, in Jeremiah 25 and verse 27, the Lord is speaking to the enemies of Israel, but he's speaking to tell them of what they, these enemies will come to. And the Lord is speaking and he says, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink ye and be drunken, and spew and fall and rise no more, because of the sword which I shall send among you. And the Lord is saying, you, look, you can be drinking and you can live like the, the enemy and you can be drunken like them and, and you can spew. The word is ko, from koaf for pelican, believe it or not. And it means you can get into your stupor and get into your drunken antics. Listen, he called Ephraim, the northern kingdom, a kingdom of drunkards. I look at the kingdom of Great Britain tonight. It's a kingdom of drunkards. The drunkards of Ephraim. The trait hasn't changed. And notice this. The Lord says, Drink ye and be drunken and spew and fall. I was one of them. I was one of them. Where I drank so much and was filled with so much drugs... That I'd have fell and I'd have spewed and I'd have tried to get up again until there was no more rising in me. And in my sin, I got worse and I got lower. And I became helpless. I was like a pelican of the wilderness. I just don't want to leave you with that thought of the pelican. We must go a little further. The pelican's nickname at one time. Now, the word pelican, the same with the word owl, and the same with the word sparrow, may not be the exact birds that we know them as, but they are off the family of it. But anyhow, the pelican was also known as the vomiting bird. The vomiting bird. It's said in the wilderness, the wilderness is the word midbar. And the wilderness there is where we read of even the psalmist of Psalm 23, finding those green pastures, the shepherd takes the sheep and they have to move on somewhere else around that wilderness to find more pasture because it's sparse. And when you find it in the lovely waters, it's like our lives that are going through the desert place. Then suddenly there's a place of pasture, the place of drinking, the place of rest and the place of refreshing. And the psalmist David said it in first, uh, uh, pardon me, Psalm 23. 
And so the midbar, the wilderness here, is the same sort of place he means. So what they did was these pelicans came to a place and they gorged themselves. Literally gorged themselves on the pasture and on almost everything. I'm told they would have even had shells if they found them. And they gorged them and they gulped them down and they swole up until they vomited. And after such exertion, these birds, they felt they couldn't even move. Man finds himself as a child of God sometimes in a changeable land with changeable nationality, personally and spiritually. This can all relate to us. And why is that? Because uh, Psalm 102 is known as the Patriot's Psalm. Believe it or not, this is a psalm of a patriot of his nation. This is a psalm where this patriot has seen the sin in the land. He has seen the enemy come in. He has seen Israel living like the ungodly. He has seen things getting worse. He's now seen it coming upon his life and encroaching into everything that he believes. And now he finds himself and he describes himself like this pelican. He's full to the brim of it and he wants to vomit. I understand that. When I look at the British Isles. And the heathen ruling over us. We are now, it's the tail wagging the dog. I feel like that whenever I see the state of our streets and I see the cultural marks of them throughout our land. I see that when I see the enemy encroaching and taking away our, 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 our very heritage. Makes me sick to my stomach. Whenever our kids are being taken and in school are taking and showing all the most ungodly things from a young age to train their little minds to accept everything else. So then he wonder he felt like a pelican. In fact, Spurgeon called this psalm the Patriot's Plate. <laughs> the Patriot's Plate, pardon me. It's his complaint. And there's nothing wrong with being a patriot. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. I want to see our country. I want to see the people, the men and women of our nation. I want to see the Lord moving in power. I want to see the revival blessing. I want to see the the book preached. I want to hear of the blood and the cross. I want to see men and women as they used to in the revivals falling upon their knees in the streets and in the factories. And the thieves used to that had stole for years out of the shipyard when there was revival the days of W.P. Nicholson. They used to bring all the stuff they stole back into their work again. Repentance. Want to hear of the name of Jesus and freedom and liberty. The pelican filled his belly to the full and fancy he would be sick and says he would sit motionless He would sit for hours with his head 
sunk down into his shoulders. Wow. It's a picture of many Christians, isn't it? We'll say nothing. We'll say nothing. Psalm 102 and verse 6. I am like an oil in the desert. The word here for desert is the word korba. Korba. And it means the waste places, the desolate places. Listen, it means the ruins of cities, of villages, and of towns. It means the ruins like graveyards. And where the olive trees used to blossom, they are dying through the look, through lack of looking after. These little owl-like birds would have hidden in them away from all others. And we're told that these owls, they would have hung around ancient landmarks that had been torn down. The Arabic word for this is the buma, the buma bird. He's described as a little grotesque-looking comical looking bird, never moving. Unnecessarily, he would uh, stay in the one place. But remaining glued to his perch, unless he has good reason to believe he has been seen by someone. So this little bird would have hung away in the middle of nowhere, sat on his perch, and if anyone seen him, it's the only time he would move. And then he would hide. The psalmist says, I'm a patriot and this is the way I am. What a picture. What a picture of a sinner soothing himself in his own deluded mind and conscience. I'll hide here where none can find me. What a picture of a defeated Christian afraid to raise their head above the politically correct parapet soothing himself, herself with her own tune. What a picture of a nation who's turned away from God and his word. A sad picture indeed of our cap in hand, as it were, spineless political system where we'll sit and say nothing, take what's given to us. What a picture while we sit on the ruins we're told these birds used to at night you could hear them making their own tune. And if you caught one, it would rock to its own tune. Why, no one would see it. Hey. I think many Christians are afraid to speak about Jesus, but we'll say enough on our own. Don't tell anybody I'm saved. And listen, I hope nobody finds me here, but you and I can talk about Jesus for a while. Don't let them know. While our heritage is being robbed and raped by Europe, we can whisper softly in our nationality, God save the Queen. as long as that's as loud as you say it.
What a picture of someone who's in a place of hopelessness, a nation of helplessness, needing rescued from the ruins of their life and situation. We close with the final bird. Psalm 102, verse 7. I watch and am as a sparrow upon the housetop. Now, the sparrow here may not be as sparrow as we know, but it's known as the little hopping bird. The little hopping bird. And it's alone. It's upon a housetop. Some believe it means it is a chirping, hopping bird that is in mourning because it's lost its partner. When I read that, I went, oh, dear, help it. That's terrible. But the more I sought into it, I don't think that means it at all. Notice what the little sparrow says. I watch. He says, I'm like a sparrow. I watch. See, he's still got an ear out. He's still got an eye out to see. I watch. And I am as a sparrow upon the housetop. Sometimes in our Christian ministry, we may feel alone. We may feel alone. There's none else. Makes me think of 1 Kings 19 when Elijah was in the cave hiding from Jezebel and the Lord says, what do I hear, Elijah? I, only I am left. There's no other prophets. And the Lord says, I have 7,000 left. You're not on your own. Of 7,000 who have not bowed the knee on the bill. Friend, if I told you some of the messages I've had this week from people looking help, direction, because of the ecumenism in our land. Because of the elevation of all of this ecumenical movement and I've been getting different people from different walks of life looking for direction. You know what they're like? They're like pelicans and little owls. I'm sick of this, but I don't know what to do. Be like the sparrow. Be on the housetop because you see the sparrow wasn't an unclean bird like the other two. There's the difference. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 29, he also said in verse 31, but verse 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? And what Jesus is referring to there is they used to get these small hopping birds or sparrows and they were used for the offerings to check out to see if someone was an offering after someone was cleared of leprosy. Leprosy is a type of sin in the scripture. And they killed one sparrow and put it under water and the blood in the water ran into a basin and they got the live other sparrow or bird or pigeon and they dipped it into it. And they set it free. There's only one sparrow on the housetop. You see, one has already died for you. That your leprosy would be cleansed. You've been dipped in the blood and the water. And you may be on the housetop at the housetop. That's where they all communed and fellowshiped. The housetop in the evening, they all sat and they all talked. And he says, I watch and I'm the sparrow. I know what's going on. Listen, and the sparrow was there to hear and proclaim. You've been washed in the blood, believer. You've been washed in the blood of Christ. Your leprosy is no more. And you've been forgiven off your sin.
The Lord Jesus said in John 10 and verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye on the housetops. Go to where they're all preaching. Go to where they're all speaking. Go to what they're all saying, he says, and speak to them. So I finish. Christian, don't you give up. You may feel alone, but you're saved with a purpose. You keep going on in God. You may feel you're just a sparrow, but Jesus said, what you hear like a sparrow on the housetops, go speak it. Psalm 102, I'll read this and I'll close. Verse 25. Notice how this old psalmist, this patriot, starts to take strength in the Lord as God again. Of old thou hast laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Notice, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture, thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Listen, you may feel like a pelican tonight. <laughs> you may feel like the sparrow and maybe you just think I'm just a, a pardon me, an, an owl. And maybe you think I'm just a little sparrow. I want to tell you, don't be like the pelican, unacceptable to God. Don't be like the owl, unacceptable to God. But rather, be like the sparrow. You're not on your own. Jesus says you have a plan and purpose and you're washed in the blood. You're set free in life. Go on and carry out his word and will. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord.